with the devil it's because you're both running in the same direction <laughs> I'm feeling spicy on the new year today <laughs> the reason why most pastors in America don't cast out demons is because they're working in conjunction with them people are hungry and literally tens of thousands of people were just set free in a movie theater so if pastors think we're going to be able to put this back in the box, they really have another thing coming. It's going to happen whether they want it to or not. So when the Holy yeah. Spirit gets kicked out of church, he goes to the movies and look what happens. Mm -hmm. So you just mentioned that in the movie theaters that there was deliverances happening in these thousands of theaters around the country. And every report that you've gotten says that there was this, that this was happening in right. every theater. So Pastor Greg, I, I think oftentimes we... Uh, as just lay people have a misunderstanding of what it means mm. to to need deliverance because yeah. i think whenever somebody says oh the, like the girl from the exorcist you know it's it's yeah. theatrics there's a lot of craziness <laughs> happening um but I, tell us about what it means for somebody to need deliverance because it's not just uh there might be demonic possession or, or just vexing yeah. or, or there's there's a lot more that goes into it than just that person's in control by a demon can oh, you yeah. just kind of break that down yeah. a little bit and help us understand that it's not spinning heads and crawling on the walls right. necessarily. I mean, crazy things do happen, but sure. we all need deliverance in some level, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, deliverance is really theologically like an onion, right? There's layers. Some people, it's a one and done, man. They, they get something out of them that's been tormenting them for years. It may not even be a demon. It may be a stronghold or a generational curse, right? But some people need progressive deliverance because they've been dabbling in witchcraft, new age nonsense for a long, long time. And so that stuff's still in their house. It's still in their kid's bedroom. They got dream catchers hanging in their car. And so at the end of the day, they're going to have to learn to minimize that stuff in their life that's opened those doors. Mm -hmm. So the common misconception is, oh, everybody's going to levitate. Everybody's going to fly around the room. Now, yeah, we have throw up buckets, right? Because people do get sick. Not everybody throws up, but some people do. A spirit is a breath. And so the Bible mm. says you expel them. How do you expel them? You breathe them out. That's how they got there, right? So they come out through crying, through snotting. They come out through throw up. The Bible says five times they came out with a loud voice. 
And so people are like, oh, no, I go to church to be dignified. Well, you better leave your dignity at the door when you come to our church because people scream. I mean, the videos I'm watching from these theaters, I mean, these people are not in there for theatrics, right? They're just in there minding their own business. I get on a big screen, start calling out witchcraft. Ah, they can't help it because once you get an evil spirit under the influence of the mm -hmm. name of Jesus, the tormenting spirit to you is then tormented by the authority of Jesus, and it just comes out. Now, you said that in theaters there was the the live streaming of you actually praying deliverance, or or mm -hmm. uh, what what would you consider that? Just praying deliverance, or is it? Yeah, uh, I mean, we we did a full blown you know mass deliverance service, just like I would on a Sunday night, but I didn't have yeah. two hours. I had you know twenty eight minutes, and so I had yeah. to really fine tune you know heaviness, fear. You know, pharmacia, addiction, witchcraft, especially mm -hmm. everybody flirts up on witchcraft. We've all got some kind of witchcraft, new age nonsense in our mm -hmm. in our hocus pocus background somewhere, right? So that's what most people flare up on. That's kind of the the framework. And then I deal with, you know, religious spirits. There really is a religious spirit. And there, that's the yeah. reason why people deny the reality of deliverance ministry. They got some kind of denominational hierarchy, some kind of stronghold, some kind of demonic mm -hmm. doctrine, because most of us were taught against this. And so like me, once you break off that spirit of religion, that nonsense comes out of you and comes off of you and you break that curse, yeah. you start seeing things in a whole new level. And so, yeah, I just got up and just went live and boom, it just, I'm in an empty tent, right? Mm -hmm. I'm in an empty 3000 seat tent, except for like four or five people in there and camera folks. And I'm in a tent and the tent's empty and I'm doing the largest mass deliverance in church history <laughs> you know, with people all over America. So I'm in my mind while I'm talking to a camera, I'm having to formulate the idea, this is happening right now. So what yeah. do I say next? When do I pause? When do I mash the gas? And I had, you know, 30 minutes, 28 minutes to pull it off, really 26 because I gave the gospel sure. and, a, you know, a salvation testimony first. So it was unprecedented. And so I, I don't know what round two, round through, round 10 looks like. Mm -hmm. I just know I'm excited for what the Lord's doing. And like Vlad said in the movie, I'm excited for the sheer embarrassment that the devil is having right now. He's scrambling. Amen. He's scrambling. Amen. The greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Welcome so much tonight for being here. We thank you very, very much for watching. Come out in Jesus' name. We're excited about what the Lord is about to do with this first ever live deliverance event right here in all of these theaters all over the United States of America. But I want to say something that many of you need to understand before we get into renunciations and forgiveness. The Bible says we submit to God, we resist the devil, and he flees from us. That's the essence of deliverance ministry because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But I want to say something to many of you. What some of you need right now what some of you need is to respond to that conviction of your heart right now, knowing that what you really need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And just right now, before I have everyone stand, and before we get involved in mass deliverance and calling out evil spirits, some of you need to call on the Holy Spirit through the name of Jesus so that you, for the first time in your life, can be born again. You can have your sins forgiven, be washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, never again worrying when you pillow your head that if you ever slip off into eternity that you're going to have to go to hell because the good news about hell is you ain't got to go because Jesus paid your price. He that knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus did not say he was one of many ways to the kingdom. He said he was the one and only way to the kingdom. And if you, sir, you, ma'am, you, young person, right now, will simply repent and believe the gospel, you can be saved by the grace of God. For it is the power of God 
unto salvation to everyone that believes. Red, yellow, black, and white. It makes no difference where you've been, what you've done in your life. It makes no difference what journey or path you have been on. Tonight is your encounter with Jesus Christ. Right where you are in your seat. Listen, I want you to know that a prayer didn't die for you, but a person did. You can pray this a thousand different ways. You believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth. But I want you to say something to God like this. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. And I know for my sin, I deserve hell and judgment. But I believe tonight that Jesus took my punishment. And the best I know how, I place my faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone for the forgiveness of my sins. I repent. Come into my life. Change me. And from this day forward, Lord Jesus, I will serve you without being ashamed and without apology. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen. I hope many of you prayed that. I hope many of you believe that because I'm telling you, Jesus Christ died for you. He loves you so very much. If you're going to participate tonight in all of these theaters around the nation, I'm not going to force you. Nobody's going to twist your arm behind your back. But if you want freedom tonight, if you want to know that there's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood and through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you want to experience that authority, I'm asking you right now, all over every one of these theaters, rise from your seats right now to your feet. Just rise to your feet. Jesus is going to set you free right now in the next few months. Just believe it by faith. Jesus will deliver the desperate. He will deliver you from your enemies, but he will not deliver you from your friends. Tonight, you have to hate that addiction. You have to hate that hurt, that heaviness. You have to hate all of those things that are keeping you in bondage, fear, and torment tonight. So as you're standing to your feet, I'm just going to have you renounce a few things. We're going to forgive some people. We're going to dig deep for the next few moments. Many of you, if not all of you tonight that participate, are going to be radically set free because there is power and authority in the name of Jesus. Good and strong, wherever you're at, let the devils hear it. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Don't be ashamed. I want you to say this. In the mighty name of Jesus, I come against every evil spirit that is in resistance to the deliverance ministry. I command them to be bound tonight and rendered powerless. Any evil spirit trying to hinder my freedom in Christ must obey the authority of the name of Jesus and leave me immediately. Satan, I resist you in Jesus' name. And I'm closing any doors tonight which I or my ancestors may have opened to you. I renounce you, Satan, and all of your demons. I declare before God that you are my enemy. I'm now claiming deliverance from any and all evil spirits which may be in me or about me. Once and for all, I close the door in my life to all occult practices and I command all connected spirits to depart from me now in the name of Jesus. On March 13, 2023, the movie Come Out in Jesus' Name was featured in 2,000 secular movie theaters across the United States. 
Numerous reports were coming out that night with videos showing people having demons cast out in the aisles and in the lobby of the movie theaters. There are claims of deliverance taking place in Christians, and this movie is going to be featured again next month for two nights. This is said to be the era of deliverance, according to the Demon Slayers. Clips of the simulcast you heard occurred after the showing of the movie. And in order for the deliverance minister's doctrine to stay consistent, those receiving deliverance must be professing believers. Mass deliverance was administered after this, rebuking a myriad of demonic entities. Today, I wanted to revisit some beliefs held by one of the demon slayers, Isaiah Saldivar, listening in on a recent conversation he had with another deliverance minister. We are going to be looking at scripture quite a bit and hearing what the Word of God has to say, along with some Bible study resources. And we are going to be reflecting on what our beloved Savior has done, and we will be encouraged and solidified in the Word of God regarding our deliverance as born-again believers. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Sick Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Sick Scribe. Several weeks ago, I did a podcast episode called Deliverance Hits the Big Screen, and I talked about this movie that just came out, Come Out in Jesus' Name, and focused a little bit on what some of the things that were said by those who were in this movie, and we looked at Scripture and were encouraged by Scripture, and I wanted to double down on this today at the end and share some thoughts, and we're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture today, and I want you to be willing in your private time to really sit down and look at Scripture as far as this is concerned, because this is a hot topic right now, and it seems to be escalating. And there's great concern about this topic because I think that it definitely teaches people something that is not biblical. And it's causing people to blame the devil for everything that happens to them and not understanding what it means to be sanctified, what it means to be biblically discipled, what it means, what the gospel means. I'm I'm concerned that there are people that don't know what the true gospel is in accordance with scripture. And they're listening to people tell them, they're listening to people that are adding things to the gospel. And in a sense, it's, it's making another gospel. It's presenting another gospel. So that's the great concern and that it's also putting people in perpetual bondage. As you're going to hear in this interview today that Isaiah Saldivar did with another gentleman, and this was a recent uh, interview that they did, a conversation that they had on Isaiah's channel. And so I wanted to look at some of the clips there, uh, refer back to scripture quite a bit. There's some of it I will read and, and some of it I will refer to. And so I want I, I would encourage you to take notes, to write down the scriptures and to look at them on your own time, because it's really important that we have a proper biblical understanding of what Christ did for us, what true deliverance is, and what distinguishes us as a believer in Christ and to and to really reflect on these things and what we believe personally and what is being taught because there's a line that needs to be drawn in the sand when it comes to this type of teaching. So let's go ahead and jump right in so we can start working through some of the things that Isaiah said. This was about 43 seconds into him talking and having this conversation and the title of the YouTube video was how can a Christian have a demon? And again, there are other people that have done, um, that are Bible scholars and pastors that have done really excellent videos on this. I'll post one down below in the link that you can look at when they're addressing as far as the Greek. I'll talk a little bit about that today, but know this, I'm a lay person. So when I'm looking at this, I'm looking at the concordance. I'm looking at complete word study dictionaries. I do have a BDAG 
but I, it, I really have to dig through it sometimes and get to the Greek word after I've written it down to get a better understanding. But I do that for my private study. And I would encourage you to get some good Bible study resources as well. But there are also um, biblically solid pastors and there are biblical scholars that they have a vast understanding of Scripture. And so I would encourage you to study the Word and to glean from these in order to have that better understanding. So with that, let's go ahead and hear this short clip first of what Isaiah had to say on in this conversation, how can a Christian have a demon? Is there any scripture that says a Christian can't have a demon? Because at the end of the day, my stories or my experiences don't matter. What matters is what does the scripture say? So is there a place in scripture where the Bible says you can't, a Christian can't have a demon? And the answer is no. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says a Christian can't have a demon. In fact, the Bible would point to and allude to the fact that deliverance is actually for Christians, actually for the believer. We're going to come back to some of this at the very end and circle back around. The one thing I did want to focus on here was him making the statement, my stories slash experiences do not matter, but what does scripture have to say? Now, I would agree with him on that. And if he does happen to listen to this podcast, I don't know if he will. I know that he listened to the video I made about the American gospel. But should he listen to this, I hope that he will consider what I'm saying. I would agree with him on that. Our stories and experiences do not matter. However, you're going to hear an appeal to stories and experiences in this conversation in order for, for them to come to this conclusion that Christians can quote, have demons or need deliverance, and that deliverance is actually for Christians. Now, my argument is going to be that deliverance is not understood uh, in what Isaiah is, te- is saying, because deliverance comes in salvation. Um, we see that deliverance is all throughout the Old and the New Testament uh, with God delivering people, depending on how that word is used. So delivering them from their enemies, rescuing them, getting them to a point of safety, uh, deliverance from the wrath of God, deliverance from the power of sin, deliverance from the penalty of sin. We see deliverance taking place here in Scripture. And so we are going to, again, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture today. And he does reference some Scriptures, and he does it in a rapid fire type way. And I made this statement before, I don't know if that's intentional or unintentional that may just be his personality and the way that he is in that he fires things off very rapidly Um, but at any rate he does that and it does a great disservice to people because if you're not sitting and taking time if you're not pausing the video and you're not sitting and taking time working through the scriptures digging through the scriptures being a good Berean and paying attention to what he's referencing you're going to miss what he's saying, and you're going to take it at face value and think, oh, well, he knows what he's talking about. He's quoting scripture, right? That's not always the case with people that quote scripture. So we have to be willing to do the work, to do the due diligence, and to look at what the word of God's saying, because we want to glorify Christ. And part of glorifying him is knowing what the word says in context. And in order for us to serve God and obey him, we have to know what scripture says in context, right? So I I wanted to point that out, that I do agree with him on that, but I find in his conversation here that he's not holding to that, that he is actually going to appeal to stories and experiences in order to validate his belief of the Word of God. Now, as he goes on, he says deliverance would be pointless if Christians can't have demons, and he seems to be forgetting that salvation, again, is a form of deliverance, that it's a, a deliverance from the wrath of God, from the penalty of sin, as I've said, the power of sin. In the life of a believer, 
so why would it not conclude that the Holy Spirit, who is powerful enough to do these things, which pulls us out of the tyranny of Satan and the power of Satan, doesn't mean he removes us from this world, but we have hope in this world as believers. Why would the Holy Spirit not be powerful enough, if he's powerful enough to do all these things and seals us with the promise of the Holy Spirit and what Jesus did on the cross, why is he not powerful enough to deliver us from indwelling demons on this earth as his children. There's a lot of questions I'm going to pose, as I often do, and I want you to think about them and consider them, and I've considered them myself. And and just to go back to what the Word of God says, this is not, thus saith dawn. This is, what does Scripture have to say? I agree. What does Scripture have to say, Isaiah? Let's and, let, and anybody else listening, let's see what it has to say as we go through. He did mention Acts 8 in this process, and I'm just doing a, a brief overview of this video, so I apologize if I miss something. I don't want to take him out of context. Uh, I do want to uh, touch on the main points of this, this talk. It was about, I think, 12 to 14 minutes long. But he mentioned Acts 8. Uh, with Philip, and I know that's one of his go-to passages, and he he mentions in other videos in the past that when Philip ministered, he he cast demons out of believers, if I'm representing him correctly, and I disagree. Um, that passage does not say that. Uh, Philip was casting demons out of people in Samaria, and because of what he was doing, and he was under the authority of apostles, big A apostles, apostles of Christ, um, that were commissioned by Christ himself and were given this authority to do this. And in so it validated their ministry as apostles and laying the foundation for the early church that Philip was under their authority in doing so. And he was casting demons out along with preaching the gospel. So I know that Isaiah will disagree with that and others will disagree because he believes a full gospel is miracle signs and wonders casting out demons. If you're not doing that, that's not the full gospel. That's not what scripture says. At any rate, Acts 8, he talks about Philip. He then goes on to mention Mark 139. Now, I will come back to these in just a moment because I've done a, some Bible study on this, looking at the word demon possession and how many times it's uh, possessed is used in the New Testament where it's used. So we'll go through the list of those and look at some of those. We'll look at an article I referred back to several weeks ago that talks about the three different instances where this word is used and why it does not support that a Christian can have an indwelling demon. Uh, the other scripture he referred to is Acts 5. So in Acts 5, he made the statement that Ananias and Sapphira were filled with Satan. Again, Acts 5 is does not say that Satan entered Ananias. It does not say that Satan entered Sapphira. If you go back and read in the account of Acts 5, and I have talked about this particular verse also in another podcast episode. If you're interested, I will have the link to that below. There was where I answered 25 questions that Isaiah Saldivar posed, and he talks about Acts 5, and so I went into a little bit more detail about that. But that is not what the verse says. It, Peter rebukes uh, Ananias and says, Why has Satan filled your heart? And so that is not the same as, for example, when we look in the Gospels, when it says that Satan entered Judas. That's not the same thing. I will just refer you to that podcast for time's sake. So that way, if you're interested, you can hear a little bit more expansion on that. And again, do your own Bible study. Make sure that you have a proper understanding. As Isaiah went on, he talked about Matthew 12. This is another go-to account that the deliverance ministers like to go to. So Matthew 12, and he touched on, based on his experience, that he only does deliverance on Christians. Absolutely. And I think from your experience, from my experience, 
I only do deliverance on believers. And I've done deliverance as you have on pastors, on leaders, on all these Christian people. These are not like people that are like talking themselves on the side of the road. These are mm -hmm. average, normal police officers, school teachers, people that work at Walmart, Starbucks, McDonald's, normal people that are coming for deliverance. And so absolutely, even if you look at Galatians, Paul said, who cast an evil spell on you? It's like, wait, Paul, you didn't get the memo? Christians right. can't have spells put on them. Christians mm -hmm. can't have demons. Mm -hmm. Yet at the same time we see Second uh, Corinthians eleven four. They had a different gospel, a different Jesus, and a different spirit. And then last mm -hmm. one, last verse I want to give for this is Second Timothy one seventeen. Two Christians, he says, God has not given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So you guys have fear. Yeah. You guys are timid. That spirit didn't come from God. So you're a Christian with the spirit of fear, and it didn't come from God. Mm -hmm. So you, so is, is fear not a spirit? It is. Yeah. It is a spirit, and Christians have it. So yes, absolutely, a Christian mm -hmm. could have a demon. Well, how could the Holy Spirit? and a mm -hmm. demon live together, they don't. The Holy Spirit lives in your spirit, you become alive in Christ, and your soul, which is your mind, will, and emotion, 2 Thessalonians talks about this, this is the place where demons live. The Bible also says nothing good lives in your flesh. So God does not live in the flesh, no. uh, demons are able to also live in the flesh. Okay, so a lot to go through there. <laughs> so you see the rapid fire that he um, that he spouted off a few different scriptures, Second Corinthians eleven four, where Paul is uh, rebuking and correcting the Corinthian church about you know they're they're allowing by the way these super apostles. That's what he's talking about in Second Corinthians eleven. These super apostles that are coming with this word and they're trying to undermine Paul's ministry. And he mentions to them about bringing another spirit. Well, yes, that is referencing a spirit. But one thing I would encourage you, and this is something I have found out in doing my own Bible study as a lay person, the words that are used in Scripture do not all have the same meaning at one time, just like in the English language, as I've mentioned before in other episodes. So when you see a Greek word to choose, for example, for spirit, which is pneuma, it does not have the same meaning in every time, all the meanings that it has at one time. It depends on the context. So I have this nifty little thing called Logos, and I've had it for several years. And if you're able to get it or you're able to get another um, Bible software, Bible study software, I encourage you to do it if you can get the funds to do it. And I have a basic one. I don't have one of the high-end ones. So I have a low-end Logos software. I looked up, for example, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, and he misquoted it. He said 2 Timothy 1, 17. Let's cut him a break. We've all done that. We've all misquoted a verse. So just because he said that doesn't mean anything. Uh, that's, a, that's a natural human error. So I'm not going to hold that against him. That is just something that we've all done and we've all misquoted the wrong verse. So, but 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, he quoted that. Again, another well-known passage by many of us, and especially deliverance ministers. They'll go to this and they'll say, see, this is a spirit of fear. But I actually looked on Logos. And so what I did was in Logos, I clicked on the actual word. You can click on the word and you can right click on it and it will show you a lot of information about this word in the Greek. Well, when I look at the Bible study word of this, it gives you almost it's a rainbow colored wheel. If you've ever seen it, it's a circle and it breaks it down. It's very helpful. It breaks the word down for you. So it shows you this particular word spirit, how it's used, and it'll even list for you the verses for that meaning. So for spirit, for example, uh, it shows a section that's red that says soul spirit. Uh, another section that's orange for demon when it's used for a demon for spirit, like an unclean spirit, for example. It has an orange, uh, lighter orange section called spirit. Uh, there's a yellow section we're going to focus on called inclination or soul. 
that's what it's used as in the context in 2 Timothy 1.7. It's not talking about a demon. That's not what it means. Um, and it goes on. It breaks it down into different ways. Character, manifestation, grace system, substance. So I'm going to click on, I know you can't see this on the podcast, and I may try to show this on the YouTube video when I get this posted. But when you click on that certain section, inclination soul, for this Greek word spirit, it pulls it out, and then it shows you all the verses in in the Bible that pertain to this. Well, lo and behold, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 applies to this. And the definition in how this word is used, spirit, in that verse means, it's a noun, a person's emotional dispositions considered collectively and understood by the seat of emotional faculties, the soul, especially as positively or negatively disposed toward God. So this is not talking about an actual demon or a demonic entity. This is talking about a soulish emotion that you have not been given a spirit of fear. The Holy Spirit gives you love, power, and a sound mind. So this is talking about the emotional aspect, that the, uh, the attitude, if you will, of fear. And Paul was encouraging Timothy. God has not given you this attitude, this spirit of fear, this emotion to give over to. He wanted Timothy to be bold in his ministering to the people of Ephesus as a pastor, he wanted him to be a leader that stood up and, and ministered in a godly way and with confidence in God and with a sound mind, with sobriety and with love for the people. That's what he was talking about. This is not about you having a spirit of fear that needs to be cast out for crying out loud. So I, I wanted to mention that. And then also, too, I noticed that um, Isaiah appeals to very old teaching I was taught this for years in this movement, in the de- and I was in the deliverance ministry um, as well, not uh, exclusively, but I was part of a, of the deliverance ministry in the church I was part of, and I participated in deliverance even overseas when I traveled to Africa. So um, when he talks about this, he says, you know, uh, can a can a can the Holy Spirit cohabit in a believer with a demon? And he says yes, because he makes a distinction of a tripart being. And I've again, I've talked about this before in another episode. And I believe that this is a word of faith teaching that's been adopted by the deliverance ministry is the tripart being of, of spirit, soul, and body. And they will compartmentalize and say, well, you know, the Holy Spirit lives in your spirit, but a demon can reside in your flesh or in your soul, which people will say the heart, which equals the mind, will, and emotions is what he said. So he's appealing to the same arguments other deliverance ministers do from, from the past. This is not anything new. He's regurgitating or recycling something, concepts that that have been passed down for decades from these deliverance ministries and from word of faith, by the way, because word of faith teaches that we are a tripart being. So again, that's the argument I give is that they borrowed from that, maybe without even knowing it. So as we go on, Isaiah discusses how sad it is that pastors and others question a person's salvation who claim indwelling demons. And again, I'll come back to that at the end and share some thoughts to consider. And they go on to talk about uh, backsliding. And the gentleman that he's speaking to claims that this leads to demons coming back into your body when you backslide. There's no mention of sin here. I I listen to this conversation. I'm thinking, where are you going to talk about sin and talk about how people need to crucify the flesh? 
that they need to get back in the word of God and to remind themselves of what the word says and to be led by the spirit and not by the flesh, to put on Christ, to be reminded of what the word perpetually, continually says in the epistles to the churches. But there's no mention of that. It's immediately, if you backslide, you're just leading to demons coming back in and then you have addictions and all and lust and all this stuff. That's sin, my friends. That's not demons. Not everything is a demon. Now, as I've stated before, and I'm going to state again, and especially for any demons, uh, quote, demon slayers that may be listening to this, I believe in Satan and I believe in demons. They exist because scripture says they exist. And I believe that they are there. But I do not believe that Christians can have indwelling demons. I do not believe that. Did I used to believe that at one point? I sure did. Did I used to teach that and perpetuate that? I sure did. I sure did. And I don't anymore. Because scripture does not conclude that, whether just cursory, a cursory reading of it, or actually studying the passages. It does not bring that conclusion. And for that, I rejoice because there is great hope and good news in the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to be a little bit more firm today than I would normally be on other episodes, because this right here is a serious matter. This is causing great confusion. It's causing bondage in those who may be professing believers. And again, I'll get to some of these thoughts at the end. And some of these may be offensive to people, but I say this in love and with great concern that there needs to be a serious evaluation personally of our salvation and what our understanding is of the gospel to make sure that we understand what the true gospel is to make sure that we are test ourselves to see if we are even in the faith. According to second Corinthians chapter 13 verse, verse five, we need to evaluate ourselves to make sure that we know the truth and that we believe in the true Christ, believe in the true gospel. As they continue to go on, I want to play one last clip, and then we're going to look at some scriptures today and delve right into this. At the end, this was really bizarre to me, and I've heard Isaiah say this before, but I wanted to share this clip with you so you can hear what he says about deliverance and uh, repeat deliverance and, and what his recommendation is on deliverance maintenance. The absolute worst thing that can happen to you if you go for deliverance is you just don't have a demon. Like that's the worst. Yeah. The best thing that can happen is you get delivered. But at the end of the day, deliverance is just prayer. So like, should I go for prayer? Absolutely. Yeah. And if you did backslide, it's likely there's critters on board because oftentimes demons will wait for somebody to do something stupid, specifically a Christian that yeah. they hate. And the demons hate you way more when you've served God and you backslide. So they're just waiting to jump in. So yeah, repeat deliverances are, are a real thing for whatever reason. And I definitely, and you and me are both voices for deliverance. One thing I wanna say as a voice of deliverance is we have to stop shaming people for repeat deliverance. Like our critics say, oh, I saw that girl in a video getting delivered before, so? Who cares? Go for more deliverance. I tell people, go get more deliverance, get more freedom. I When I pray mass deliverance, 
I put my hands up and go, Lord, deliver me. Like, <laughs> if there's anything there. Dude, if there's anything there, search me. If there's any critters on board, I want them off of me. I'm not prideful yeah. and arrogant. And then, you know, the heresy hunters make videos. Isaiah Saldivar says he needs deliverance. Yes, all the time, Lord, deliver me. Jesus said the daily bread was deliver us from evil. That was the daily prayer. So one of Jesus's prayers was deliver us from evil daily. That was a daily prayer. Is that what Jesus meant when he said that? Just consider that and do a study on the Lord's Prayer in that passage. Is that what Jesus meant when he said, deliver us from the evil one? Deliver us from evil. Is that what he meant? Let's listen a little bit more before we dive into scripture. Maybe you got deliverance once, but not everything came out. Maybe you went back to the world. Maybe you only did a 20 minute deliverance. Uh, there's many reasons why you would need a repeat deliverance, but I'm, I'm all for getting delivered. I'm never gonna say like, oh no, don't, don't do that, blah, blah, blah. How often would you recommend to go in for a session? I mean, I change my oil on my car every 3,000 miles, so it's no problem getting the oil change every few months. I would I would go through deliverance every couple months, every six months. It depends on how free you want to be. I mean, <laughs> if you're okay with, if you're, now listen, if you're not having any symptoms, right? There's no, no overwhelming desires, no perverted thoughts being created, no nightmares, no, and you're not having no symptoms, then hey, there's plenty of people we need to work on. Don't hit me up, right? Like, you don't need to keep coming and coming, coming, but, if there's symptoms and there's signs and there's things that are dragging you away, there's voices there, there's overwhelming desires, perverted thoughts, then go for deliverance. But again, I don't want to create people that are deliverance junkies yeah. that are addicted to deliverance. Yeah, so I don't know if you caught that, but he one thing he said was that he, he mentions critters a couple of times and talking about, you know, getting the critters out of him. He said that before. That's the thing I've heard him say before in a public meeting that uh, that he wants all the critters out of him. If there's critters on board, this whole belief of, well, I get my car's oil changed every 3000 miles and making that an, the analogy to deliverance maintenance chapter and verse, please, in Scripture. That's, that's all I'm going to say. Where do we see this in Scripture? We don't. We don't see this. The apostles didn't teach it, and they didn't abide by that. They didn't believe they needed deliverance ministry. They never talked about casting demons out of themselves, which I am going to do a future episode at some point about specifically about self-deliverance because there's some wild stuff out there about that. The, the notion of self-deliverance in and of itself is a wild teaching. At any rate, you don't see this practice in Scripture, and Again, I'll share thoughts at the end. I, I never want to get ahead of myself, but sometimes I do. So forgive me for that. Now, we're going to look at Scripture. We're going to go to Scripture, and we're going to look at some some references here to and some resources that are going to be very helpful, I believe, to us. And I, obviously, this is not exhaustive, but I think that this will be helpful. I hope that it is at, at any rate. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Now, when we look in scripture and we look at the word for demon possessed, and some of this may be a repeat from other episodes, but it's good to hear it again. 13 times when you look in a concordance, for example, to see the word possessed. 13 times the word for demon possessed is used. And it's isolated to the Gospels. Six of those, it's used for the demon possessed man um, at the Gadarenes. 
And we see these accounts in the Gospel of Mark and Luke. And we'll look at those here as well. Now, when we go through, I, I listed down the ones that include this Greek word, daimonizomai, for this word mean, meaning demon possession. The first account that we see is in Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. This is where it describes the man that, that is oppressed, the people that are oppressed by demons that are being brought to Jesus. The next verse that we see mentioning this specific word is Matthew eight sixteen. It's the same type of account that those were being brought that were oppressed by demons. The next verse is Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. And as you just now probably picked up, just like Isaiah, I misspoke. And the gospel of Matthew is the one that contains uh, one of the accounts of the demon-possessed man. And this one actually talks about that there were two demon-possessed men that met him uh, in the country of the Gadarenes in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. So we see that this, this very same word for demon-possessed is used in that passage when you look at it in the Greek. The next reference is in Matthew chapter 9, verse 32, and also in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. This talks about a demon-oppressed man in Matthew 9 and the demon-oppressed in Matthew chapter 12. Both of these men, I found this interesting, were brought to Jesus. I thought that was an interesting. They didn't come uh, seeking Jesus from what it sounds like. They were brought to Jesus. There's there's a teaching in the deliverance ministry where you have to want to be delivered. Well, what do you do with the two parents, the one account where the man went to the disciples and he had a son that, uh, when, depending on what, how the word's translated, some people say it's epilepsy. The other ones say that it, the word can be moonstruck if I'm, if I'm correct in saying that. But at any rate, this young man was being thrown into the fire and he was um, demon-possessed. The, the father took his son to the disciples. They could not cast this demon out. And so he goes to Jesus wanting to seek deliverance for his son. Did his son ask for deliverance or did his father ask for it? We don't know how old the son was, but at any rate, we do not see this young man asking for deliverance. The other example is the Syrophoenician woman or the Canaanite woman. And that is a beautiful story of the gospel coming to the Gentiles. When you see the Syrophoenician woman coming to Jesus, she's asking on behalf of her daughter, who is possessed by a demon, she's asking for, for her to be healed of that, to, to be delivered. And we know the conversation that took place. I, I also talked about that in another episode. But I want to point this out is that neither one of those people asked or sought deliverance. Someone else sought it on their behalf and Jesus had compassion and he demonstrated he was the Messiah and he had power and authority over demons. As we go on, Mark chapter 1 verse 32 mentions the word possessed. That's the Greek word for possessed. And we also find this next account in Mark chapter 5 verses 15, 16, and 18 using this very same word that's talking about the demon possessed man at the Gadarenes. The next uh, verse that we see that uses this specific word is in Luke chapter 8 verse 36. The next time we see even a mention of demons as far as someone having a demon or uh, being possessed by a demon, which is, it's a completely different word that's used. It's not daimonizomai. The other two references to demonic possession was in Acts chapter 8, verse 7, with Philip and Samaria. Again, the word used there is not daimonizomai. And then the next passage that we see is Acts chapter 16, verse 16. This deals with the girl with the spirit of divination that Paul cast out um, after she followed them for many days and he was becoming annoyed because she was saying the truth by that spirit, but 
she was full of a demon. And so, again, that is not the same word for demon-possessed that's used in the Gospels. Now, I wanted to read this to you out of the Complete Word Study Dictionary. When I looked up the word daimonizomai in my Complete Word Study Dictionary for the New Testament, uh, the number of the word, in case you're interested, is um, 1139 for that particular word that's used. And these are some of the things I wanted to read to you that are highlighted that I think will be helpful in better understanding the use of this word. The first use of this word means possessed by a demon or a devil. And the, the, chat, the, the verses that are referenced are the ones I've already read to you from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It goes on to talk about those violently possessed by demons are distinguished from other sick folk in Matthew chapter 4, verse 24, and Mark chapter 1, verse 32. There are other expressed usages in the Gospels um, and indicating a definite entrance into a person, referencing Mark chapter 5, verse 18, and Luke chapter 8, verse 36. Most of those who are said to be possessed are adult men. This this book uh, note, uh, takes note of that. The few exceptions are certain women who had been healed of evil spirits, such as Mary Magdalene, the woman who had been bound by Satan for 18 years, which that's found in Luke chapter 13, verse 11 and 16, and the little daughter of the Syrophoenician woman in Mark chapter 7, verse 25. Uh, under the second heading for this uh, particular Greek word, it says demoniac is spoken of as the dwelling place of a demon and a number of demons can dwell in one person. The third reference here, sometimes the demon is differentiated from the man possessed. At other times, the two are identified. In Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 20, the demon acts both as part of the man and independently of the man. So you see in that example, when he comes up, uh, the man that's demon possessed of the Gadarenes, there's a distinction made in that passage that you see that it's not the man specifically or exclusively talking to Jesus. Have you come to torment us before our time? That's the demons talking. That's not the man talking. So this is showing demon possession. Under uh, Roman numeral six for uh, demon possessed for this Greek word, it says, when he speaks to the demon itself, Christ's words are never angry. He rebukes the demon. But the words of rebuke are simply hold thy peace and come out of him or a command that he should not be made known. Under Roman numeral seven, it says the power which Christ has over demons is absolute for they are wholly subject unto him and are compelled to yield to him obedience. Under Roman numeral nine, the power of Christ over demons was regarded as something new called new doctrine, which we see this in the beginning of Mark chapter one, verse 27. And I Again, this is something I've talked about before, but during that time, the Jewish people, the, the rabbis would engage in a type of exorcism that was familiar to the Jews, um, and it, it almost seemed like it, it uh, invoked like a magical formula or incantation when they did it. So the fact that Jesus did this with a command of a word, this was new doctrine. They were, uh, they were amazed at the authority that Jesus had. Again, this shows that he was the Messiah. And there is an argument made that I think is valid of why did we not see demons? We, we, we see mentions of demons a few times in the Old Testament, but we don't see anything amped up until the earthly ministry of Jesus. And there's a reason for that. And I believe that it's because this was to show that he was the Messiah and that he was the one that binds the strong man in Matthew 12. And he's the one that has power over the ruler of this world, that he is the one that defeats Satan. So I think that that is all um, relevant information to, to consider. 
And Roman numeral 10, this is the last part I'll read in this particular word for this Greek word, diamonizomai, but it says, in view of the fact that Jesus Christ has absolute power over the demons, it is impossible for a demon to possess a believer in whose heart Christ dwells. In Mark chapter 3, verse 22, the scribes say of Christ that he had Beelzebub, and in Mark 3.30 occur the words because they said he had an unclean spirit. It is evident that Beelzebub, the prince of the demons, and unclean spirit are synonymous with demon. And we know in John 7, 20, the Jews accused Christ of being possessed by a demon because he said they sought to kill him. So I wanted to read that particular section to you. I also wanted to refer back to this article that I mentioned several weeks ago called Demon Possession and the Christian, written by Robert Dean Jr. And on page eight of this article that was featured in CTS Journal in the fall of 2006, uh, Robert Dean focuses on biblical examples of demon possession. And his argument is he does not believe that demon, that Christians can have indwelling demons. Now, I know that people are going to play semantics with this and they're going to say, well, we don't believe that, that Christians can be demon possessed, but we believe Christians can have demons and, or they can be indwelling. Well, the fact that you believe that Christians can have indwelling demons and you're casting something physically out of a person that matches the examples in scripture when Jesus was dealing with demon possessed people. So we've got, we've got some problems here. At any rate, Robert Dean mentions that there were eight detailed accounts provided in the scripture of Jesus casting out demons. Three of those he examines. The first one he examines was the Gadarene demoniac. And these are each just, this is all described in the synoptic accounts. In case you don't know what synoptic means, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So those three are consecutive in what they say. A lot of what their accounts are in all three of those match up. As he goes on to talk about the gathering demoniac, he says the text does not say the man was coming to Jesus for aid or for deliverance. He says that the man is described as having demons. Uh, In Luke chapter 8, verse 27, he cites the Greek in there, or he had an unclean spirit. He says, subsequent to his deliverance, the townspeople describe him as demon-possessed, a term Mark used three times to describe this person in Matthew 5, 15, 16, and 18, as we've already stated. Dean says when the afflicted man saw Jesus, Mark says he ran up and bowed down, a sign that the demon recognized the authority of the second person of the Trinity. And that the demon who indwelt this man, um, he controlled his body. Throughout the, the account of Luke, the writer consistently refers to the man with the third person singular pronoun. But when the man speaks, he uses the first person plural, we. Luke is writing from the viewpoint of the observer who sees one body. The speaker realizes the plurality of demons within the body. Therefore, the speaker is not the man himself, but one of the demons serving as the spokesman for the entire group. And Dean says the words uttered by the man were not his own, but they were spoken by the demon controlling him. The demon does not address Jesus with hostility blasphemy or cursings but with respect and that's something else to take into consideration when you see these accounts which I find sad and I find ridiculous a lot of times I'll be honest with you some of them are so theatrical and dramatic and they make much of the deliverance minister and their fear of him rather than their fear of Christ or their fear of other believers let me just give you a little news flash that I've had to learn as well over the years because I used to think I was so big and bad and that the devil feared me the devil does not fear you dear friend. And he does not fear me. He fears the one who made him. And we need to remember that. We have idolized ourselves many times. And those that have come out of this movement, you you will understand what I'm saying. And if you're still in this movement and possibly upset with what I'm saying, I love you. And I'm just, I'm telling you this because this is what we all need to hear. You're not God. 
And you may say, well, I don't believe I'm God. But the fact of the matter is when we puff ourselves up and think so much of ourselves that we think the devil fears us, we have a horrible understanding of who Satan is, of what his power is. And we have an even more horrible and sad understanding of who our God is and how much greater he is than the created being who is Satan and even us. And to make so much of ourselves to think that it's, it's sinful and it requires repentance on our part to acknowledge that the devil's not afraid of us. He's afraid of the God who made him. As he goes on to talk about this, he, Dean talks about the Dean, the demons feared Jesus was there to consign them to their eternal condemnation earlier than planned because they say, did you come to torment us before their time? And he says in this most detailed of accounts, we see that the demon is in the person's body. The demon then is cast out of the body by Jesus's command and comes out of the body to enter into the swine. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm emphasizing these things. I'm putting the emphasis on the syllables, if you will, because it's important that we understand this. There is this, again, there is a distinction trying to be made. Well, we don't believe that Christians can be demon possessed, but you're treating them as such. That's what you're doing when you're casting out, when you're claiming to cast out a demon out of a person, they're indwelt, meaning there's possession taking place there. There's no way. I mean, you're, you're agreeing with what scripture says here, but in the, in that sense, but you're disagreeing with what is taught in scripture about Christians being indwelt by demons. The second account he talks about is the convulsive child that's found in Matthew 17, 14 through 18, Mark 9. 14 through 25 and Luke 9 chapter uh, Luke chapter 9 verse 37 through 43. And then the third example that he references is the man in the synagogue that we see in Mark chapter 1 verse 23 through 28 and Luke chapter 4 verse 33 through 37. He does note here that the demon does not approach Jesus for deliverance. Once again, the demon addresses Jesus respectfully by his title and once again the demon must come out. Um, he talks about the meaning of Dimonizomai, and he says that uh, he reiterates of it being used 13 times all in the Gospels. And he says that demonized and to have a demon are used in scripture of only one extreme type of demonic activity. To have one or more demons take up residence inside the body of a person and exercise control by overriding the individual's volition in relation to their bodily functions. The person's soul, his identity is still there, though suppressed. His volition to believe or reject the gospel must therefore still be there. However, the ability to control his body is not. And that is the, the hallmarks of a possessed person. Now, the question I would ask is when you watch these deliverance videos that are on YouTube, does this look like a Christian or does it look like a demon possessed person that's rolling around the floor, throwing up, which that is not found in scripture, the, these uh, teachings that you must throw up or cough up something because a spirit is a breath. And I, again, I'm familiar with these teachings. I've, I've read some of these books. I, I, had to, I taught some demonology myself back in the day when I was in, in th this movement in the local church. These are things that are taught. The question is, when you see these videos, does this look like a born-again Christian or does this look like a demon-possessed person? And the last thing I want to read from Dean, he says, since the major feature here is control, we must ask if possess is an adequate English term to convey this meaning. According to one group, possess is inadequate because it conveys the idea of ownership, which is one of several meanings for the noun. 
However, the Oxford English Dictionary lists as the first meaning of the verb possess of a person or body of persons. To hold, occupy, to reside or be stationed in, to inhabit with or without ownership. This primary meaning for possess clearly accords with the evidence of the biblical events. Therefore, the case for rejecting demon possess as an accurate translation of the Greek daimonizomai is without support in either Greek or English lexica or the biblical usage of the term itself. So, again, I'll post the link for that article, and um, I will also post a link to a blog post that a pastor did a review that attended the movie Come Out in Jesus' Name. I think it would be high, I think it would be worth your time to read it. He uh, does a good job of talking about what he witnessed there and what happened during the movie and some of his concerns. So I'm going to share the link to that so you can be aware of that as far as someone who went and watched the film and is a pastor. And expressing the 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 pros and the cons, if you will, of of what took place. Now, as we continue on, um, and we're continuing to kind of wind down here, I wanted to share some thoughts, and I want to share several scriptures with you to read for edification and encouragement. And here's a thought that I that I consider now, after being out of this movement for several years. And reflecting on the things I was taught and then reflecting on the things that deliverance ministry teaches and how it's, um, it seems to be ramping up and the concern that there are many that are being deceived by this, um, which I believe that scripture is being fulfilled. Uh, if you want to know my thoughts on that, uh, I believe that scripture is being fulfilled in this deception that people are being massively deceived. And this is one of the ways that people are being deceived is by deliverance ministry. And the question that I come to when I read scripture and see about um, the authority of Satan and and what he's able to do in the lives of people, then the question I would pose is, is Satan not a tyrant? Is he, is he not an oppressor? We as believers are reminded to whom we belong and that we are no longer under the tyranny of the devil. And we are encouraged and admonished to understand we are no longer slaves to sin and unrighteousness which agrees with the ruler of this world. But we are slaves of God and slaves to righteousness. And this is not unwilling slavery. I I recently heard a minister make a point that though we are slaves to sin, we are not unwilling participants. The same can be said of being slaves to righteousness. Our hearts are transformed and we are sanctified and ever being conformed in the image of Christ, according to scripture. And so with that, I wanted to read some passages to you uh, to remind you of what scripture has to say as far as uh, pertaining to believers in Christ and how sin was dealt with, how, um, issue, how the issues that, uh, that took place in the flesh, in the life of a believer, in the life of a true believer in Christ, how that was handled. Let's see what Scripture has to say about it. Let's read Romans 6 together. I'm reading from the ESV. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. 
Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Verse 15 in chapter 6 says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. And that's the key right there. And it's end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to go on and I read want to read to you chapter seven, beginning in verse seven. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Now, I'm going to stop right there for a second. I'm going to come back to verse 14. But have you heard anything mentioned yet about a demon needing to be cast out? Have you heard any mention about you needing deliverance as a believer? Have you heard anybody say you need to do self-deliverance, you need to do deliverance maintenance every few months, you need to change the, the spiritual oil, so to speak, you know, you need to, to do that da, 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 in order to get those demons out because those critters in your flesh, those demons, they're causing you to sin, by golly. Let's keep reading verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, and I am of the flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. And that is not a demon, friends. That's talking about your sinful nature that you still have to contend with in this fallen world. Because the last time I checked, none of us are in our glorified bodies as believers. So you've still got a sinful nature that you've still got to crucify and put under, and that's part of your progressive sanctification. 
And you can't do that apart from the Holy Spirit. That's good news. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Verse 18 again. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Let's read Romans chapter 8 verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's go to John chapter 12, verse 31. And I want to take us to these verses because these are good ones to ponder on and consider and do more study on them. So I'm sharing them with you today to, to highlight them, draw attention to them, and point you back to Scripture to give you something to think about. John chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Matthew Henry had this to say about this particular verse. Christ reconciling the world to God by the merit of his death broke the power of death and cast out Satan as a destroyer. Christ bringing the world to God by the doctrine of his cross broke the power of sin and cast out Satan as a deceiver. The soul that was at a distance from Christ is brought to love him and trust him. Jesus was now going to heaven and he would draw men's hearts to him thither. There is power in the death of Christ to draw souls to him. We have heard from the gospel that which exalts free grace and we have heard also that which enjoins duty. We must from the heart embrace both and not separate them. In Matthew Poole's commentary regarding this same passage, 
He states, quote, But this seems best to be understood of the deliverance and vindication of mankind from the power of the devil, who had a long time held mankind in an unjust possession. The devil had got a dominion over mankind by the fall of Adam and had exceedingly tyrannized over them, keeping the far greatest part of the world in slavery by idolatry and keeping many others who were no open idolaters, yet captives to his will. Now, says our Savior, the time has come when this shall be altered. Satan shall be bound up. I will deliver a great part of the world from the yoke of idolatry, another part of them from the power and dominion of sin. The devil, who is not by any right the prince of this world, but boasteth himself to be so, Matthew 4, 9, and acts in it like a prince, powerfully working in the children of disobedience, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. And as the God of this world, blinding men's eyes, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, taking the world as his house and keeping it as a strong man, Matthew twelve twenty nine, shall be cast out of my redeemed ones, so as though he will still be going about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, and molesting the best of men by his temptations. Yet he shall not prevail over them, which is us, as believers. God will bruise him under their feet. He that had the power of death shall, as to his dominion, be destroyed, and those who are in bondage through the fear of it shall be delivered. When looking at John chapter 14, verse 30, in his promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus tells his disciples, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim over me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Satan never once ruled in Jesus Christ because he was sinless. And this is good news for us who have placed our faith in Christ to save us, to deliver us, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We place our hope in him and in no one else and in nothing else. The verse deliverance ministers love to reference so much, Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 through 45, regarding a demonic spirit leaving and coming back to find a house swept, empty, and in order, bringing with it seven more demons, ignores that born-again believers are not empty. It is also worth noting that Jesus seems to make it clear in this account in Matthew 12 that he is the one who binds the strong man who is Satan, and Jesus plunders his house. Jesus has truly come to set the captive free from the tyranny of the devil and to bring redemption and the promise of eternal life, and it is by his Spirit that we are sanctified and saved from the power of sin. My friend, we are no longer under the tyranny of Satan. We are citizens of heaven as born-again believers. There is no up and out in a born-again believer. Scripture is silent on the matter, and where it is silent, we would do well to be silent. Which is good news, to be wondering if another demon has to be cast out of you as a believer, to have deliverance maintenance done every few months to get rid of the, quote, critters, and to blame the devil for your sin, or to hear the glorious news of the Savior, Jesus Christ, who came into the world sinless, born of a virgin, perfect in all his ways, demonstrating that he was the true Messiah, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, the one who Satan had no claim to and who died to atone for your sins and for my sins on the cross, who was rejected and despised and led like a lamb to the slaughter, taking the punishment you and I deserve. The one who died was buried and rose again in three days. And in this we rejoice because in Christ we no longer owe a debt for sin. And we're no longer under the power of Satan. 
In Christ, the old man has been crucified and buried. In Christ, the new man is raised. And in the midst of a fallen world with unbelievers under the tyranny of Satan, we have a hope the world cannot understand, it cannot take away, and it cannot comprehend apart from the Spirit of God. Though we face temptation as believers, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, leading us, and guiding us. Though we sin and fail because of our sinful nature and our flesh, we have a high priest ever interceding for us at the right hand of the Father in heaven, who knows what it means to be tempted in every way, yet did not sin. We can come boldly to the throne of grace, asking God to forgive us of our sins against him, and we are brought to conviction only by the Holy Spirit, and we believe that we are forgiven And we bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And though we are bombarded by extra biblical revelation and experience telling us that even as a Christian, demons can set up residence in our soul or flesh, we can rest in knowing that we have the word of God to assure us of the truth. If you are claiming to have demons cast out of you as a born again believer, I want to lovingly and strongly urge you to test yourself to see if you are even in the faith. Do you know the gospel of Jesus Christ according to scripture? The gospel is not centered upon what demons have done. The gospel is centered upon what Christ has done. What freedom is there for the believer if demons can indwell? What security and hope does one have in believing this? Is the devil not a tyrant and oppressor, as I said before? If you are a citizen of heaven, what Christ did is sufficient to bring you out of tyranny. It does not mean that you will not face temptations, trials, and difficulty due to the enemy. It means that your battle is from without, not within. Ask yourself, do these accounts in scripture of demon possession and the ones we see from deliverance ministers, do they look similar? Consider they are commanding demons to come out as Jesus did. Consider that the ancient texts agree with demon possession, not merely being demonized. Definitions matter. Do we see any description of believers acting like this in the epistles? Or do we see Paul addressing sin and how to handle it? Do we see individuals coming back for repeat deliverance or deliverance maintenance? Or is Christ's work on the cross sufficient for your deliverance and for my deliverance? What many are being sold is a bill of goods with new packaging of old material with new and fresh faces. Those such as Mike Signorelli state that churches who do not do deliverance are demon daycares, and that pastors who do not cast out demons and support deliverance ministry are working in conjunction with demons, as you heard at the beginning. Isaiah Saldivar will appeal to passages pre-Pentecost in support of deliverance ministry and pose the question that there are no passages stating a Christian cannot have a demon. Well... I would argue that just as the scriptures do not state the word Trinity, we can point to numerous passages referencing the doctrine of the Trinity. The same is applicable for the belief that a born-again believer, sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption, cannot be indwelt by a demon. It is an insult to true salvation that can only come through faith in Jesus Christ and to Christ himself. And I personally refuse to believe ever again that the Holy Spirit will cohabit with a demon in a Christian. And this is not coming from someone that was indoctrinated for years, by the way, of believing the opposite. It's coming from someone who all I ever knew was this doctrine of Christians having indwelling demons. This is not freedom. Be cautious of what the world celebrates. Be mindful when Jesus warned of those who would say to him, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not cast out demons in your name? 
and be reminded of what he says of those who do not know him. Satan and demons are real. To those who make false claims about those of us who sound an alarm out of concern, please state your facts correctly. If you want to offer a seat at the table for discussion, how about starting with not filling that seat first with the accusation of a religious spirit and demonizing your opponents? I urge you to get back to Scripture. I urge myself to get back to Scripture in context and to glorify Christ in word and deed, exhorting one another to be true disciples of Jesus Christ, growing in the grace and knowledge of Him, and growing in spiritual maturity rather than mythology. And with that, I'll end for the day. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these episodes. I hope that you find them helpful. I hope that you find them encouraging, challenging, and that they drive you back to Scripture and back to the Gospel. Not to my opinion and what I think. What does Scripture have to say on any of these matters? If you found this podcast helpful, I hope that you'll consider leaving a five-star review and that you'll share it with others that could be encouraged and be helped by these podcasts. And I appreciate those that have reached out to me by email and messages on social media that have shared, that have asked questions, that have even opposed me in a respectful way and wanting to engage in a conversation. I appreciate that. And I enjoy my time on here with you, and I look forward to being on here with you again. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can reach out to me on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, and also on my email at dawn at lovesickscribe.com. And as always, I look forward to being on here with you next week as we look at another topic. Be blessed today by the truth of God's Word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.